So today, I'm going to complete our part two of the message I began two weeks ago. Last week was interrupted because we had our, we had our fast that we needed to talk about. But I want to talk about this new year, new you. <clears throat> now, one of the things that we're going to have to deal with in reaching our destiny in 2019 is this. We're going to have to understand that there are some people that can't go with us in the next level of our lives. And I, I want to set the tone, and I'm not against nobody. I don't want you to be, I don't want this church to be against nobody. I don't want you to be against that, anybody either, as well. But there are some things that we're going to have to understand according to God's word and our, as our destiny is pertained that we need to understand that we've got to get some things in order when it comes to our relationships and the people that we're networked with. I want you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 says this. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness? Now, I know that the last part of that verse is pretty easy to understand because what communion can light have with darkness? Well, there is none because when light comes on the scene, we know that it dissipates darkness. So light and darkness don't coexist uh, one doesn't have the other. So light comes to, to dispel or disperse darkness. And so that's easy to see. We don't fellowship with darkness because we're the light. So we should be affecting the things around us in our world where there's darkness. The first part of this verse is probably misunderstood, but it says don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. So the word unbelievers could mean people who don't know Christ. That's absolutely a fact. It works the same. But I think we got to look at this a little deeper than just that. That there are people in our lives that are unbelieving people. In other words, they don't believe necessarily in you either and your destiny and where you're going. And if they don't see who you really are, it's really tough to go in the same direction. That's why he said don't be unequally yoked together with those kinds of people, unbelievers. Now, that word yoked, it's probably not something that we say often in our modern-day vernacular, but uh, they still do it across the world where they'll take two horses and they'll yoke them together. Uh, in Bible times, you'd hear a lot about oxen being yoked together. So two horses would have a certain task that they would be yoked together, maybe a stagecoach or, or a coach or carrying a cart or something like that. Um, uh, uh, an oxen would probably do more laborious type of work, moving boulders, that kind of thing. They, they take one would be pretty strong, but they can yoke two of them together, they can be even that much stronger, twice the strength. And then, of course, there's, um, there'd be um, donkeys, and, and they would have a particular task as well that they would do. So to be unequally yoked would be, that would be a, a man that would take an oxen, let's say, and, and then hitch him or yoke him to a donkey. How many knows the strength of an ox is different than the strength of a donkey? The size of an ox is different than the size of a donkey, and so it's not it's not it's not gonna have its best potential because it's not yoked with the proper person or the proper thing that needs to be yoked with. A yoke is something if you can see, you've seen it goes around the neck all the way around and it's tied into the thing that's next to it. 
so that it's impossible to go, go in two different directions. They have to go together in the same direction. So that's what he's saying when he's saying don't be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. Who is it you're tied to? Who is it that you're yoked to in life? Because that's the direction that your life is going in. So if you don't like the direction of the person that's around you most in your life, you got to understand something. By the way, we're not talking about marriage here today. Hallelujah. If you're married, that's a good yoke. Hallelujah. So you got to work on your marriage. That's why you got to get stronger in your marriage. And you got to work on those principles. And we can do that. And today's not going to be that day, but you can certainly do that. But I'm talking about people that you're yoked with in relationships outside of your marriage that you get a covenant with that cause you to one direction rather than the other. Amos 3, 3 says, can, can, two, can two walk together unless they are agreed? What's the answer to that? No. I can't walk south and north at the same time. So if you've got people in your life that are walking north, and you're trying to go south, you can't go in the same direction. You're going to go in a big old circle. We need to learn to properly deal with the people in our lives so that they're a blessing and not a burden. So we're a blessing to them and not a burden to them. So we have relationships that are whole and not hurtful. Who do you let in on the inside of your life? And who do you need to let go? That's the question we need to ask today. I'm reminded today when I studied this of Paul and Barnabas. Most people don't know that Paul and Barnabas were the first to set out uh, into the Gentile world to shake that world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, establish churches, and go out with signs, wonders, and miracles, and see God do tremendously within the Gentile world. So the two came together. They were in agreement, so they walked together in one accord. But they brought in another person by the name of John Mark. And Mark was a, was a man that, that, that was noted in the Word of God. We don't know much about him, but we do know that he had an issue that he had to deal with and he left the group and went to go do something else. Well, this upset Paul. Paul didn't like the fact that he had committed to a mission and then kind of upset the apple cart to go do what he felt he needed to do. And so when the time came that John Mark was prepared to come back online with them, the Bible records it this way, that there was a great, there was a great division between, uh, between Paul and Barnabas because Paul didn't want him to come back, but Barnabas said, why don't we let him in anyways? And there was so much of a, of, of a division between the two that the Bible says that Paul made a decision to move without Barnabas, and Barnabas and, and John Mark, they hooked up to preach the gospel, but he, this is what happened. Paul had an understanding of this, one principle, that if you're not going the same direction as me, that means you're not there to help me get into the destiny God has for me. So I'd rather let you go and part in peace. Come on. Then keep moving ahead knowing that our theology and our doctrine and a way of doing life is not working out the same way that I thought it was going to. So he released him and hooked up with a man named Silas. Most of the body of Christ have heard of Paul and Silas. Our little children grow up hearing about Paul and Silas. Why? Because they did more together than Paul and Barnabas. Silas was the one God called by his side to go and preach the gospel to every living creature in their known world. You can't do that. You can't get into your destiny without the right people. Anybody ever heard of Abraham before? And a nephew named Lot. And they, they, be, they actually weren't supposed to travel together, but uh, Abraham allowed him to, to do this. And, and so, uh, but the problem is they begin to be prosperous and blessed. And Lot began to grow and his herdsmen grew. And, and then Abraham's, uh, his herdsmen grew as well. And, and so they begin to have a, a division between the two. You know, who's going to get the best pasture? And, and so finally, so finally Abraham decides, hey, Lot, whatever you want, you'll take. And then I'll take whatever you don't want. Don't worry about it. And so he pitched. 
pitched his tent towards Sodom and Gomorrah, chose that land, and Abraham said, fine, go ahead and do that. And you know the story, there was a division. At that moment, God said, pick up from here and go to the place that I called you to, which was a city whose builders, uh, builders, the Bible said, whose hands built that were not built by man, but, but built by God himself. In other words, it was his promised land. He said, now you can go. He had to let go of Lot. The moment he let go of Lot, he was able to move into his destiny. You don't hear much about Lot after that, but you hear a whole lot about Abraham and his destiny. I'm just here to tell you, there's some people you got to put in check that are not supposed to go with you in 2019. You can love them, you can help them, and you can be there for them, but you can't hang with them. If I were to ask people in this room today, what kind of friend are you looking for? Here's what the general answer would be around the room. Someone who's fun. Someone who makes me laugh. Someone who's easygoing. Someone with no drama. Someone who's easy to hang out with. And listen, when you're going through a battle, you don't need someone who knows how to throw a party. You need somebody you can lean on for support to provide, come on, options that you don't have. I want somebody that's willing to get in a foxhole with me and fight my battles and not worry about throwing a party right now. Come on, somebody. Now, sorry, ladies, but that's why you keep having drama in your relationships one after another because you're looking for fun when what you need is faithful. We all need to learn that when we're looking for relationships, we're not supposed to look for charisma. We're supposed to look for character. And you don't need to be around a thug when you want a man of God. You don't need to be around somebody. Come on now, I'm going to preach too hard, too fast. Somebody who don't know how to take care of a family. You need a family man. Somebody who don't go out at night. Come on, somebody that corrals all over town, but is there for you, taking care of you, got food on your table, taking care of your babies, plays with your children. Come on, fixes your house. And do you hear the screams, men? Do you hear the screams of those women? That's the kind of man they really want. But the problem is, ladies, they know what buttons to push with you because you fall in love with your ears. Men fall in love with their eyes. And women, if you tell them what they want to hear, they go, oh, Jesus. And ladies, you got to be a little smarter than that. I'm going to teach you that. Come on now. And men, you got to be a little smarter than that as well. You got to have character. Character is this, it's I'll be with you through the good times and the bad times. I won't run away when the battle gets tough or when the kitchen gets hot. Come on, somebody. Character is what I say is what I do. Character is I got to keep it 124-7, as the kids say on the street. Come on, somebody say amen to that. In other words, I can't tell you my faults. I can't share with you my concerns just because you're fun-loving and know how to have a good party. Sorry, but I can't trust you with what I have, the most inmost details of my life, the most valuable information in my life. Just because you say I love you doesn't mean I can trust you. And men, listen to me, men, when you, when you go to look for a wife, you don't assess her by her measurements. You look for her character. Because all that honey is going to fade unless you're really wealthy and you get some plastic surgery. Come on, someone say amen. 
Nip and tuck. Amen. <laughs> it was dragging on the ground. Pull it back up. Hallelujah. <laughs> no. All that fades. And if she's that fine, somebody else is going to want her too. You better be looking for somebody who's got character. Some of them, when you get a fight with them, they keep their mouth shut and don't put it on Facebook and tell the whole world the fight you had last night. Am I preaching okay now? Because, honey, if you did that to me and you were my woman, that would be the last time you and I would ever talk again. I could never trust you again with my most valuable information if you're going to tell the whole world my business. I don't understand how people are so free to get on Facebook and tell them, my, you know what he did to me like that? And he did it. He's just a blanket and blanket and blanket and blanket. And all your friends, amen, girl, you know that's right. Throw that bum out. And then the next week we see it, me and my man at Chuck E. Cheese. The same man you was going to throw away last week? What's wrong with you? I can't keep up with your moods. Character. Don't put their man out there like that. Character. Don't put their woman out there like that. We protect them. Ladies, when you go to look for a husband, you don't assess him by his bank account. About how nice a car he's driving. How can we see these portly men? Uh-oh. Middle-aged, I'm talking to myself now. Middle-aged and have women half their age and a foot taller than them. You know how? They get a nice car. I won't tell the truth. And they know they can spend a lot of money on them. Tell me that's character. Tell me that's character. Tell me, lady, that's how we assess our true love for somebody is about how much money they got in the bank account. Got quiet up in this place today. Oh, he's a catch. Why? Because he's got a nice car. Not his car, his character. Not what he can give you financially, but what he can give you faithfully. Not once does the love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, ever mention feelings. Not once. Not once does it mention goosebumps. That's a love chapter. Not once does it mention butterflies in my stomach. Look at verse 4. It says, love suffers long. It means it's patient and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. does not seek its own. It's not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endure all things. Love never fails. Isn't that what we're all looking for in all relationships, whether it be, whether it be with a, a future husband or wife, or it is a husband or wife, or even in a relationship that we have outside of that, a true love that takes care of one another? Right, let's look at, let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 16, and this is Jesus speaking, and this is how he taught us. He said, you will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? No. 
Would you ever think about grabbing a grape from a thorn bush? No, you wouldn't. Yet it's amazing to me how we go to the wrong source all the time to get what we want. Am I preaching okay now? And if you wouldn't go to a thorn bush to get a grape, then why would you go to the club to find a man or a woman? Simple deduction, my friend. Why would we do that? Come on. Word is out, by the way, at Faith Builders. Come to Faith Builders because we got a lot of beautiful single women. That's the new word on the street, praise God. That's what they put on Facebook. Hallelujah. We'll take it. Praise God. Bring them in. We'll get them saved. It's called galvation instead of salvation. Amen. That'll come to you later. Amen. Why do we go to the wrong source and then think they're going to change to meet the need we have or what we think is important for our lives? Verse 17 and 18, even so, every good tree bears good fruit. Mm -hmm. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. That's Jesus speaking, y'all. He made it so plain that we can't miss it. Good tree, good fruit. Bad tree, bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. Nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Statement. When you examine the source properly, it will always tell you what it is. Let me put it this way. When you examine the source properly, it'll always tell you what it really is. Nobody can take you out to dinner and tell you what they want you to hear and it not be the truth on the inside of who they are if you're really looking to see the fruit of their life. An apple tree can tell you all day long that it's a pear tree. But the truth is, it's still an apple tree. And how do we know it's lying to us? Because it always produces apples. And this ain't just for boyfriend, girlfriend time, husband, wife time. This is for business partners as well. How do you know the right business partner for you? They can take you out, wind you, dine you, tell you how awesome they are, show you their credentials, but unless you know the fruit, you'll never know who they really are. I want to look you up and know you ain't got bankruptcy. Come on, somebody. You ain't lost your bill. I want to know who you really are. Before I let you in my world, Jesus taught me that. Dear friend of ours who has been in the media lately is a known person, and, and uh, they fell into sin, and they've repented, and I thank God for that. But it's going to be a process now because they thought they could find grapes in a thorn bush. And when they went in to dig out the grapes, they came back with nothing but scratches and blood and holes in their arm due to the thorns that they reached in thought, thinking they're going to get grapes. In other words, they left bleeding, they left upset, they left hurting. And now it's going to be a process back to the road, through, to the road of restoration. And we thank God there's a, there is a road of restoration, but there's always a price to pay. I don't want that to happen to you. I'm tired of hearing, especially my women in the church, because you fall in love with your ears and what you hear rather than really looking at the fruit 
And we try to tell you, hey, take some time, pray about it. But you know, you always know better than anyone else. So you go out and do it and then come back a year after you've been away from God and everything else and got a baby out of the situation. They promised to marry you, didn't marry. I'm tired of that nonsense. Not that I'm tired of you. I'm tired of the devil taking advantage of people who don't have understanding how to live their life. Of course we take them back, and of course we love them, and of course we want restoration. Of course. But why should anybody else have to follow that pattern of pain in their lives? Most people listen to what they want to hear, and that's why. Instead of opening their eyes to what really is, Jesus said, lift up your eyes. The truth will sometimes disappoint you, won't it? But it will never let you down. And church, here's a principle you can live by. If you don't see any fruit yet in their lives, then simply don't make any decisions yet. Why, pastor? I just felt good about it. No, 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 no. If you don't see the fruit, don't make a decision yet. Why? Because fruit comes in seasons. You don't always see it right away. It's hard to judge that plant and that tree in the springtime. But I know in the fall time, come on somebody, when the harvest comes, depending on the plant, you know, four months come, then I'll be able to decide, oh, that's what you really are. Oh, I'm preaching so good. This is so good. This is so good. So good. I just want to stay right here and let you go. Ooh. Amen. The devil will set you up. How many times have we heard, oh, we're going to get married anyways? And some did. It worked out okay. That's not a high percentage. And they fall into sexual immorality, and they don't get married anyways. And they got all the pain of having a soul tie with a person, falling deeply in love, and one was more serious than the other, and the pain of that. And now you got to walk through a process of how to get away from all that stuff, and now your trust issues are off the chart because you don't can't trust nobody ever again. Somebody's got to preach it. Don't up and yoke yourself to someone when they haven't proven their fruit, or I should say this, haven't proven their character to you yet. Jesus said every tree, verse 19, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, which means it gets judged. Wow. That's how Jesus deals with it. If it don't bear good fruit, you got to deal with it and cut it off and get it out of your life. Why would you ever give your life to someone who will not provide for you? Who will not bear fruit on your behalf and you bear fruit on their behalf? Well, pastor, you know, everybody needs somebody to believe in them, you know. Oh, so you're more merciful than our Lord Jesus Christ. Because he said, cut it off, throw it in the fire, and then one day he was walking by a fig tree. Well, he thought it was a fig tree because it's supposed to have figs, but it didn't have figs. It gets there, there's no figs on the tree. Well, it was out of season. When Jesus wants figs, he wants figs. And he looked at the tree. Merciful Jesus said, curse be you. Let no man eat from you ever again. And the next day, what happened? They found that sucker laying over on his side, dried up from its roots. And they said, oh, my God, that's the tree he cursed yesterday. It's dead, 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 dead. 
up from the roots dead. That's the merciful Jesus. He teaches, didn't he say that people were like trees and trees like people and, and they were planted by the rivers of water? All that's, that's all biblical stuff right there. Amen. So he's teaching us there are certain things. If they're not going to produce fruit in your life, you got to bail on it. you got to cut it out of your life. Jesus said, let no man eat fruit from you ever again. When you're yoked to someone, it means you're, work, you're working together with them. I can't be, in other words, in this yoked situation, I can't be the only one that pulls the weight. you got to provide too. we got to be pulling together, pulling together. And some of you here, you are very merciful, and that's good. I like that. But it doesn't mean we have to check our discernment and our common sense at the door. Just because you have mercy and you want to help people doesn't mean you can say, now I don't have to think anymore with my brain and I don't have to use the discernment of the Holy Ghost that he gave me. Something, you go, something's not right in here. I can't prove it yet here, but something in here says, hmm. Have you ever had that? It's called, let me see your hands, you ever had that before? Can't prove it here, but you know in here? That's called a check. Having a check in your spirit, something's not right. I don't, then why would we proceed ahead with it when we know there's something in us that says, I can't identify it yet, but I better back out of this situation. I've had two of those checks in my life, and I've learned so much from them. But I was in a bind, and I, got, I had to get out of the bind, and they said what I needed them to say. And I was like, it took the pressure off me because they said it, and it was, oh, this is good. And guess what? Both of them fell through and cost me thousands of dollars. Everybody say, Pastor, you better learn. <laughs> I'm learning. I'm learning. How about you? They said it, and I agreed with it, but something in here was the whole time was going, this doesn't sound quite right. It ain't quite the, what I mean. I mean, it's what I want to hear, but something's not right. You know, it's too simple, too easy, and I should have went with what I felt on the inside or what my wife said. Hallelujah. <laughs> But I didn't do it. Hallelujah. Usually she's right. Those <laughs> well, pastor, uh, shouldn't we love everybody that comes into our lives? Yes. Absolutely love everybody. Help everybody. But it doesn't mean you have to trust them. What kind of church is this? I'm the truthful kind, the one that tells the truth and shames the devil and says, we better start using our brains here. Amen. Love them. Don't trust them. Not forever, but there ought to be a period to which you begin to qualify because love is a command, no doubt, but trust is earned. For me to trust you means that you pass the qualifications that I set forth. I put certain fail-safe things in that says, I've learned some things in life. I get burned sometimes. So I need to put certain things in here for my protection and for the preservation of what God has given me. And some of you have never even set the bar, let alone set it high enough. But if you want to be connected to the right people, you must develop a strong criteria for relationships and networks. Absolutely right. I can't just give everything away because you look good or you sound good or even because you treat me right. I, there's got to be more than that. I used the analogy this morning about somebody who gets hired at McDonald's, and so we give them some training at McDonald's, and guess what? We say, you can flip burgers. 
You're, you're qualified now. We taught you how to do it. They go and they season the burgers, and they flip them, and they make the sandwiches, and order three is ready, and order ten is ready, whatever. And, and they're good at that because they're trained for that. But if you want to know what's in the secret sauce, you got secret sauce, amen, McDonald's. If you want to know what's in the secret sauce, you got to go through some more qualification. We got to know who you are because we can't just give the secret sauce recipe away to just anybody. Come on, you might give it to a competitor. Okay, that, that, that was really good. All right, if we're looking for fruit, then what kind of fruit are we looking for? Have you ever thought about that? Galatians 5.22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. That's patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. When I read this, what I said in first service, when I read this, it's like, this is what happens to me when I think about this. That's a kind of love that's not surface. It's a love that understands me, and I understand you, and it's like this. Will you love me even when my flaws show up? Will you love me even when I don't fulfill everything you want me to be for you? Will you love me when I falter? Will you love me when I fail? Will you love me when I mess up? Will you love me on my worst day? Because it's easy to love people on their best day. Amen. But it's difficult sometimes when they're going through some things. And I'll tell you the truth. I've had challenges in my own life with people. I'll be on the road with people. Come on, somebody. I'll be on the road with people. Or I'll be at, I'll be at some diner and, and I got a snippy little waitress. And you know when people are snippy at you, you want to be snippy right back, don't you? Okay, just me. Just me. I'm the only unsaved heathen. That's ever walked the face of the earth. So the rest of y'all, at least I got two or three being honest about it. The rest of y'all are liars, liars, liars. Now, somebody fronts you, you what do you want to do? Right back at them, right? And I've had to calm down and go, wait a second. They could be having a really bad day. They could have got some terrible news. I don't know what's going on in their world. Maybe they're the best waitress in the world, but today they're having a bad off day. And sometimes we as Christians in particular, we need to recognize and go, wait a second, what am I going to be? Am I, what kind of fruit am I going to show them? Is it going to be anger or love? Is it going uh, to be I'm upset or am I going to bring peace and long-suffering to the situation? Am I going to bring goodness? Am I going to bring kindness? What am I going to bring here? Because they'll know you by your fruits. I can tell them I'm Christian. And they may have a hard time believing me after I just gave my attitude. But if I show them my Christian faith without ever opening my mouth, but just showing them that I can take it on the chin and I'm big enough, I'm man enough, and that's okay, keep dishing up because Jesus loves you. Just that's, They'll see Christ in you. Amen. Now, number one, I'm almost done. You'll know them, Jesus said, by their fruit. People who constantly tell you <laughs> what they are, they're always telling you, I'm this, I'm that, high probability they are not. 
Now, I know I'm sounding like I'm being snarky today. I'm not trying to be. I'm just trying to get to the point. But I've been around this a long time. I get really, really, I get really, I grow weary. Let's put it that way. <laughs> when people come to me to tell me, I'm prophet so-and-so, I'm prophet so-and-so, I'm minister so-and-so, I'm psalm the psalm, but I do not care. I don't care. I don't care. I do not care. And the more you say it to me, the more I do not care. Now, I know in certain cultures, in certain places of ministry, the titles are, I respect people, but I respect you before I respect your title. And then they act like I should give them the pulpit because they told me they're minister so-and-so. And then I tell them no, and they get offended. They'll never come back to our church again. Why? Because they're looking for an opportunity. Not a place to serve, but a place where they can have an opportunity so they can use their gift. And I say, keep on looking, but it can't be here. And the church should say, praise God, because you don't want just anybody up at this pulpit. You want somebody who's got some character. Come on, somebody. Because it flows from that on down to all of us. Flows from the top down, always has. Let the, the anointing oil flow from the head of Aaron down to his beard, the Bible says, onto his garments. Absolutely. And so I get a little weary of that. I, I don't think they're trying to be something. Maybe they're not trying to, but I just, I'm thinking, my God, if that's who you are, we'll figure it out. Who you are doesn't need a title in front of it. Who you are is who you are. We'll know. Your gift will make room for itself. Okay. And you don't need to be going around telling everybody you're a Christian all the time. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Just be Christ-like. Act like a Christian. Just do it. In other words, we should be able to see the fruit of who you are before you tell me what the fruit is. People say to me, well, I go to, I go to church all the time. And I'll say to them, oh, good, where do you go? Um, uh, what's that church we go to? Uh, well, what's the pastor? Well, uh, I, uh, you know, I don't know his name. I'm telling you right now, they're not going to church. Why are you trying to trick anybody and deceive them? You're not really going. We can know by your fruit. Come on, somebody. I run into people that say they're from faith bills all the time, too. And I say, where have you been? I'm coming back. I'm coming back. You came in 2003. We haven't seen you, man. Your kids are now married. Where have you been, man? Coming back this Sunday. We don't see them next Sunday. Why? We'll know you by your fruit. Don't try to impress nobody. When I was out there in the world, I lived like the devil, and I didn't care what anybody else thought about it. I wasn't trying to tell anybody I'm a Christian. I didn't even do that. I'm living in the world. It's what I'm doing. Don't go to church. It's what I'm doing. I may be completely wrong, but that's what I'm doing. I can respect that. Amen. I lost half the crowd. Praise God. Jesus, help me. They ain't going to be back here next week. Oh, Lord Jesus, why do I always run people out of my church? I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to run you out, but I do want to tell the truth. I think most people appreciate that because I take the risk. And by the way, if this is really your church, don't write me and say, I love going to your church, Pastor. Because when you say you're going to my church, that means it's my church. You should be saying, I really love coming to our church, Pastor. Our vision is wonderful. Our mission is incredible. See, it's got to become your church. 
And we want it to become your church. And if you haven't done that yet, you can do it. Sign up today. Go to the Girl Track class. It doesn't take long to do it. You'll love it super fast. And you'll learn all about our ministry as well. So it's going to be a good thing for you. Now let me just change gears and then we're out. I know that most people want somebody they can confide in, right? But let me make it clear. You don't tell your problems to untested people. Okay? If they've not met those qualifications that you've set, those standards you set forth, no matter how bad you want a confidence, need that confidence, you don't do it to untested people. Let me tell you what a true confidant is. Confident, confidant are people that are into you. It's not about what you're, you're, you're there for or what you're uh, against or for. It's not about what you have, what you can offer, what you can bring to the table. They're just actually really into you. They actually love you. It's not about who you voted for. And I, and I love y'all, but you don't see me get real political on my stuff ever. You don't see me do it. You know why? Because I know there's pain on both sides, and I know the devil will take it. And then what he does is he pits us against each other. And then we have to draw a line to the place that we get, oh, I'm on, uh, okay, now uh, I thought they were uh, godly people, and I see that they're not because they voted for such and such person. You don't know why they voted for them. I have my view. You have your view. Let's keep it at that. Um, I've had people challenge me. People I respect challenge me and say, well, if you're going to be a real pastor in America today, you need to get up and tell the people the truth, and politics included. Get up there and tell them who to vote for, blah, blah, blah. And I, I, re I wrestled with that. I wrestled with that. And finally, I came up with this. I said, wait a second here. Why am I even wrestling with this? There's nothing about the ministry of Jesus that brings politics into anything. That's number one. Number two, I can only see it dividing. It never brings about peace. It always brings about division. Number three, if I start it one week, I've got to do it the next week and the next week because you're always constantly having to say something for the next thing that happens in our world. And I'm thinking, that's not what I'm called to do. I'll put myself in a position now that I am not even anointed or qualified to be in. I say, if you want to know, come ask me. I'll tell you personally. But I'm not going to use this as a bully pulpit. And I don't think anybody in this room should do it either. Because I really think it brings more division than it does anything else. And if there's anything that the country needs more now than anything else, we need to come together. And I'm going to tell you something else. He brings, he, yes, amen. There's so much hate. And there's so much division, and it's all ramping up. It's still going. And the prophecies are saying that there's going to be an incredible uh, 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 division between white and black in 2020. That's a prophet. There's prophecies coming forth. And I'm saying, not in my house. I'm going to break the power of that thing. We're not going to allow that to happen in this church. We cannot allow that to happen. Let us be a shining light on a hill saying, this is how we can get along. We all can get together. See? That's what we should be doing rather than bringing all this division. So in other words, I want to be connected with the right people, and God connected me with all people. Amen. I want to say more, but I'm leaving right there. If you have two people in your life that are great confidence, confidants, rather, then you're blessed. Most people maybe have one their whole life. And if you're married, then your spouse should be your confidant. 
And if your spouse is not your confidant, you need to get in a place where you can start getting together, praying together, building trust with one another so that you can be one another's confidant. Nobody is my best friend. That person there is my best friend. Period. I have friends, good friends, but she's my best friend. I can tell her anything, okay? She tells me she can't tell as much, but I can tell her anything. She says, I'll use it against her. I don't use it against her. The truth is, is that, that you can have somebody outside of your spouse, but it shouldn't, be, it shouldn't be that's the person your go-to is. Because, sir, if your wife is not your confidant, your best friend, then somebody at the office or at the job or the club or the health club at, uh, at church the devil brings somebody by and you go, I can just talk to them. I feel like I can really just talk to them. And that turns into usually an affair. And everything you work so hard for goes down the drain. Same thing with men. Same thing with women. Same thing. Amen. I've watched this over and over again in the ministry and it just breaks your heart. How do you know you have a confidant? When you walk into a room and you start sharing a victory that you've had and they drop everything. And they listen to what you've got to say. And they don't try to one-up you. They don't go, oh, that's good. Let me tell you what God did for me. Ain't about you right now. I was telling the first service, I said, when my wife and I go to other churches to minister, when we have a chance and privilege of doing that, we don't go in talking about us. If they ask a question, we answer the question. We don't go doing that. We go to build them up. And say how incredible they are. And give them words of encouragement. We don't, go, we don't go press ourselves on nobody. Amen. That's what a confidence. Then guess what happens? They start trusting you. And you start building a relationship. If, if, here's how you know. Another way you know that you've got a confidence. If you're hurting, they stop. They put their arm around you. And they'll hurt with you. They cry with you. They, they, they may not know what to say. And by the way, when someone's hurting, you may not have the words. So you don't even, by the way, I've learned something. Let me just teach you something. When people are going through things, usually that's not the time to try to say a lot of words. Usually when people are really hurting, their IQ begins to drop a little bit. And what I mean by, I don't mean that bad, all of us, it all happens. It begins to drop and we get into our emotions and we're not really hearing everything anyways. And we're certainly not speaking everything that's going on inside. But what they do respond to is love. An arm around them. Everything's okay. God's got you. It's going to turn out for his glory. That's all you have to worry about. It's just making sure you're there. That's what a true confidence. In other words, whatever you want in your life, you should become that for somebody else. And if you want a good friend, you got to be a good friend. Amen. And when good character is shown and you can trust one another, then you can open up and speak and declare certain things that you wouldn't do with anybody else. And you know that their lips are sealed and they take it to God in prayer only or to their grave. They'll never say it to anybody again. And I'm telling you, there are, we, and you, I, I'm going to talk to the mature church now, but, uh, you know, pastors fall. I hear about, you're going to hear about it this year. God spoke to me and said it's going to be a, a season of, um, what's the word I used, um, where things get stirred from the bottom? Exposure. Thanks for helping me out. Exposure. 
And so, uh, and they're going to see pastors and stuff. Shouldn't shock you. Why? They're human beings. And I'm the first guy who will not point a finger at a pastor or evangelist or prophet that has fallen from grace and have messed up in their own sin. I won't do it. I'll be the first guy to help them. If they'll let me, I'll help you back. We'll restore you, get you back where you need to be. God will forgive you. If you will repent, if you won't repent, I'm the first guy to say, you need to sit your butt down because you're broken. Why would you lead people who need your help? You need healing yourself. You understand? There's a tension there. There's a tension there. And so, and so I said, you know, they fall. But we also, guys, and I'm going to ask for Tony to come. We also, we have set these ministers and even the people, all of us, we've set ourselves up for failure in the church. Let me express this to you real quick. We have no systems in place by which we can actually trust somebody that if there has been issues in our life, that we can go to them and say, hey, I'm in over my head, and I don't know what to do, and we know beyond a shadow doubt, if we say this in secrecy, it stays between them, God, and you, and they might bring a couple others in to bring healing and restoration so things don't get out of control. If we had that in place at step one, when people begin to make mistakes, we'd never go to step 10 when it's a complete disaster. We deal with it then and there, knowing that David himself fell. But God still gave him the kingship, didn't take it away from him, but he suffered great loss as a result of the pain was intense. So we've got to create an environment at least start in our own backyard, in our church, where people can talk to certain people. Because not everybody can get to me or my wife, but we should have, in a church our size, other people that we can go to, maybe start with our eldership, our dream team, and we should be able to hold that and never speak a word of it. There, can I tell you something, guys? There are things I know she doesn't know about people because they ask me not to tell anybody. There have been occasions where I said, can I share this with my wife? And they said, yes. Occasions where I said, can I share my wife? They said, no, please. And she don't know anything about it. And she's done the same with me. Can I be honest about it? We're so not gossipy people, that's not our deal, that I don't even think to ask her. She doesn't even think to ask me. Can I be more honest with you? I don't even, there's some stuff I want to forget. I don't want to talk about it. Uh, I want that out of my head. And it was only for that moment so I could bring wisdom to the situation to help rectify a situation and move on. Well, we need more of that. We need more people who can say, I want to be a confidant. Because if you want one, you have to be one. This year, we got great destiny in store for all of us. So what are we saying? Whatever you want, you get, number one. And number two, whatever you want, you become, rather, uh, you'll get. And number two is there are certain people in your life you just can't have so close to you. You love them, you help them, you can be there for them. But they can't be the person you hang out with every day or every other day or whatever because you know they're going north and you're going south. And that's why you keep going in a circle. You're pulling each other in a circle. And then hook up with the right people. In closing, I'll say this. 
Usually the people you hook up with aren't, that God wants you to have destiny with, aren't always the fun-loving, super fun-to-hang-out-with person, always makes you feel good. Usually it's the person that troubles you sometimes, <laughs> makes you think, uh, gets you a little bit upset because it's challenging you where you're at. Somebody said this way years ago, secular, but I, I think it's pretty cool. If you're the smartest guy in the room, get to another room. Because you always should be in a state of, I got to be challenged. I got to learn. I got to grow. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your head?